I know that uh, this will come as a shock to a lot of you, but I am in a great mood today. It's just good to find out who the real bulldogs are. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was really great. I was, I was in Athens last night led by the Spirit and um, did not get in the flesh one time last night, but it was great. And, uh, but, but you know, I really and truly, um, I'm so excited to be here. I really am. I, I love our church. I love our people. We got some of the best people on the planet. And I just want to say a word to those who are in, here at our Sugarloaf campus, those who are at Mill Creek, those who are at Lanier, those watching by TV, those who are online. You're allowed to come to a campus you're close to and check out what God is doing. We just have some sweet, sweet folks and some great things going on. And I'm in the middle of a series today, I, and I'll be honest, I, I'm, I've never been more excited about some series get me charged up more than others. I'm not going to lie to you. This one has me charged up, and, and you'll find out why in a moment. But I want to tell you about the most exclusive club in the entire world. Didn't know about it until several weeks ago. It's known as the Rich Man's International Millionaires Club. Now, if you're blessed or fortunate enough to be awarded a membership card, here's what you get for your membership card. You get VIP admission to the most exclusive yacht clubs, if you own a yacht, jockey clubs, I guess if you're a jockey, country clubs, I guess if you live in the country, golf clubs, if you play golf, Ski resorts, if you ski, hotels and restaurants around the world. You get a global concierge. You get a 24-hour problem resolution service. A lot of marriages need that, okay? You get a $1 million line of credit. Now, it's exclusive. There are only 100 charter corporate platinum memberships available. Here's the good news. You can apply today. Go online. Just look it up. It's called the Rich Man's International Millionaires Club. If your application is approved, and I don't know how long this, this bargain is going to go on, but if your application is approved, you can become a member for the bargain basement price of $15.2 million. It is the most exclusive club in the world. But back in the day of Jesus, there was a club that was every bit as exclusive and it was known as the Club of the Pharisees. Now, ladies, first of all, to show how exclusive it was, women don't need to apply. Women could not be a Pharisee. Furthermore, if you couldn't read or write, you couldn't be a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, the name Pharisee literally means separated, separated one. That's what it means. Pharisees were a cut above everybody else. And if you ever got the chance to be invited to a party that was thrown by a Pharisee or to eat at the house of a Pharisee, it was a big, big deal. Jewish socialites would talk about you. You'd be written up in the paper. People want to know, how did you get invited to the Pharisee's house? How in the world did that happen? Jewish servants would envy you. They'd want to know, who are you to get invited to eat at the house of a Pharisee? So I thought it would be cool if we literally went back 2,000 years to a party that was thrown by a Pharisee. And it wasn't an ordinary party. It was actually thrown for Jesus. 
And the reason why I want us to look at this party is because it gives one of the most vivid portraits of grace that you'll find anywhere in all of the Bible. So if you want to look on today and you brought a Bible or smartphone or tablet, whatever, we're in Luke chapter 7. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in Luke chapter 7. Now, if you're a guest of ours today, we're in a series that we're calling Balanced. And the whole thesis of this series is simply this. In the Gospel of John, we read that Jesus was full of grace and truth. One of the things that brought people to Jesus and that, 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 that almost like a magnet drew people to Jesus was he was full of grace and truth. And if you missed last week or you were here and forgot, let me remind you of what we said. Churches and individuals tend to lean one way or the other. Okay? Everybody in this room, I can tell you right now, one of two things is true about you. You either are more of a truther or you're more of a gracer. We even said last week that kids learn real quick who in the family, which one, which one of the mom and the dad, who's the gracer and who's the truther. That's how they learn to play the parents against each other, right? So kids learn real early. If I want that cookie, don't go to, doc, to, to, to Mr. Truth, go to Mrs. Grace. She'll give me what I want, right? We just all tend to be that way. And, and, and I'm the same way as you are. I tend to be more truthy than I am Gracie. Some of you tend to be more gracie than you are truthy. And we said last week that you've got churches that are like that. There are some churches, they're all about grace. And their number one goal is to make you feel comfortable. And then there are other churches, and they're all about truth. And their number one goal is to make you feel condemned. And what I said last week was, I want us to be a church that's balanced. I want to have the compassion of grace and the conviction of truth so that people will be converted to the Jesus of grace and truth. I, that's the way I want to be in my own life. I want to be full of grace, and I want to be full of truth. Now, today, we're going to look at a picture of Jesus who was full of grace. Now, I'll tell you something interesting I found out. I didn't know this. It's amazing. One of the best things about being a pastor is you get to read what you don't get to read, and I get to study what you don't get to study. I get to learn what you don't have the time to learn, so I get to share you know, that with you, and I didn't know this. Jesus never used the word grace. I, I didn't realize that. You know, I would think if, if you'd said to me, hey, can you name some words? If I didn't know anything about, if, I, just, if all I knew about Jesus is that he was Lord and Savior, he died on the cross for our sins, and he came back from the dead, and he loves the world. If you said, hey, knowing that the Bible is full of grace, would you guess that Jesus said the word grace? I would, yet he never did. Never mentioned the term one time. As a matter of fact, the word grace only appears four times in the Gospels, and he never used it. By the way, something else I learned, just a little trivia. Did you know that never do we read in the Gospels where Jesus ever said three words? Jesus never said to anybody, as far as we know, in the Gospels, I love you. But now we know that Jesus loves us. We know that from the cross. We know when he hung on that cross, what he really did on the cross was give the whole world a big I love you hug. So I know that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I know that he loves me even though he's never told me. I know Jesus was full of grace even though he never used the word grace, but he showed it. And he never showed it bigger or better or brighter than he showed it at this party. Now, the story begins in Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. 
Now the Pharisee is throwing a party. You're gonna see this in a moment because there were a lot of guests that were invited to this party. Now, this is one of those deals that, you know, being an American like we are, when you read the Bible, I was saying this the other day, I was uh, in a conference I was preaching in, there is so much humor in the Bible that we just don't realize, we just miss. For example, we're reading here about a Pharisee that threw a party. That is an oxymoron, okay? A Pharisee party is a contradiction. Pharisees were the fundamentalists of their day, okay? Pharisees never got a lot of sleep. You know why they didn't get a lot of sleep? They would stay up all night worrying that somebody somewhere was having fun. They just couldn't stand the thought of it. Pharisees today, they wouldn't have a TV in their house. They wouldn't go to movies. They wouldn't dance. They wouldn't play cards. They wouldn't listen to any music unless it was a hymn, and it better be older than Moses, I mean, think about it. So you're going to a Pharisee party? Yeah, well, no DJ, no punch, no dancing. And remember, they're Jewish, no pigs in a blanket. Man, can't wait to go to that party, right? Well, the guest list was very impressive. Important men of the synagogue was going to be there. The who's who of Jerusalem is going to be there. Simon, as we're going to see, one of the leading Pharisees who threw this party, he knew this was going to be one blowout gig. He knew the house was going to be full. He knew people were going to drop everything they had going. They were going to clear their calendar to be at this party. You say, why? Because the headliner was Jesus. And word spread, Jesus is going to be at this party. You talk about a tough ticket. Everybody wanted to get in and see this young, handsome Galilean who overnight, just like that, had the largest Twitter following in all of Israel. Everybody wanted to meet this man named Jesus. Everywhere he went, crowds would mob him. People would sit at his feet for hours and they would hang on every single word. And the word is out, hey, Jesus is going to Simon's house. Jesus is coming to the party. And I'm telling you, everybody wanted to get into this party and it was gonna be one great party, except it didn't turn out the way Simon thought it would turn out. It really didn't produce what Simon thought it would produce. And what you're about to read in this amazing story is a Jesus that was full of grace and why grace is so amazing. Now, before I get into the message, let me just kind of, full disclosure, fair warning. You better listen carefully because every one of us in this room, every one of us watching by TV, everyone watching on the internet right now, everyone at all of our campuses, those of you who are watching or will be watching on TV or will be listening, you are in this story. You'll see why in a moment. We're gonna learn three things about grace, all right? Number one, grace receives us in our sin. Grace receives us in our sin. Now, let me tell you kind of what's going on. Jesus has arrived, the party's going well, everybody's having a good time. Jesus is relaxed, everybody's relaxed, they're just chilling out. They were reclining on the floor eating because back in the day, when you went to a party, you didn't sit at a table, you would recline on the floor, you would put your hand on, you know, your, your head in your hand like this, on your, lean on your elbow, and that's how you would, you would eat. Well, everybody's having a good time, everybody's relaxed, because everybody's kind of listening to Jesus and looking at Jesus, and all of a sudden, the room goes deathly silent. All talking stops. And every eye in that room is focused on one thing, 
that all of a sudden has made everybody extremely uncomfortable except Jesus. Verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now get the picture. This is a room filled with religious leaders. This is a room filled with biblical scholars. This is a room filled with churchgoers. There was enough self-righteousness in this room to sink a cruise ship, okay? I mean, and, 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 and now here's somebody that walks in. Hey, she's not on the guest list. She didn't have a ticket. She breaks into the party. And what's even worse, she's a woman, but not just any woman. Because what she did and who she was made chins bounce off the floor. Because remember what we're told? Luke's very careful to be detailed here. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Literally in the Greek language it says a woman who was a sinner. Oh yeah, we know what she was, right? She was a street walker. She was a prostitute. She was a call girl. And every way imaginable, she came from the wrong side of the tracks. She was the lowest of the low, socially, morally, ethically, spiritually. She was at the bottom of the barrel. You know, back in that day, the trifecta of evil and the trifecta of bad people, if you were either a tax collector or a shepherd or a prostitute, you were considered the lowest of the low. And if you happened to be a prostitute who collected taxes and had some sheep, you really had hit the trifecta. So this woman is a prostitute. Well, she may have been corrupt and she may have been carnal, but she wasn't a coward. Give her her props. She walks into a lion's den of people who see her with nothing but disdain, 180 degrees different from what she is, and they're ready to eat her alive. But she'd made up her mind. Nothing's gonna keep me from Jesus. Nobody's gonna keep me from Jesus. I am coming into this house and I'm going to see Jesus. Now, everything this woman had ever been taught made her feel unwelcome, not just in this house, but she knows where she is. I'm in the presence of a holy man. I'm in the presence of a prophet. I'm in the presence of a teacher. And nobody had to tell her who she was. She knew who she was. Nobody had to tell her what she was. She knew what she was. And by the way, one thing you have to kind of realize in this story, it's really pretty obvious. You just have to assume this. It's really obvious this woman had seen Jesus before. She, she had been around Jesus before. She had listened to Jesus before. She had watched Jesus before. And evidently, what he said and the way he said it radically changed her life. So much to the point that she was willing even to be stoned if that's what it took, if she could just get to Jesus. I can just imagine the first time she ever heard Jesus speak, she encountered words she had never heard before. And though she didn't know what the word was, she knew it when she heard it. She heard it clearly. Grace. I believe when Jesus walked by her, she smelled grace. I believe that when Jesus looked at her, she saw grace. I believe that when she reached out and touched him, she felt grace. And even though everything and in that room was screaming out loud, not welcome, there was this smile on the face of Jesus that said, you are absolutely welcome.
So she walks into this house. And Jesus looks at her like no man had ever looked at her before. Because he didn't look at her with lust. He looked at her with love. He didn't think about her guilt. He thought about his grace. And what happens next is more shocking than Katy Perry and Taylor Swift exchanging Christmas gifts. Okay, You're not going to believe what is about to happen. She begins to weep so much that her tears literally flood the feet of Jesus. She then undoes her hair, and she begins to wash his feet with her hair. She then begins to kiss his feet, and then she then uh, uh, pours an alabaster perfume on them. Okay, now let me just stop. You remember where you are? Can you say awkward? I mean, everybody's like this. She's throwing all caution to the wind because you know what she's really saying right now? I really don't care what you think of me anymore. I really don't care how you look at me anymore. I really couldn't care less. Because back in that day, and by the way, it's still true in a lot of parts of the Middle East, women always wore their hair up in public. For a woman to let her hair down in front of a man who was not her husband, that was considered to be such an intimate expression of, of desiring sexual intercourse that it was grounds for divorce. As you know, even today in parts of the Middle East, people don't do that. And then this prostitute, watch this, she not only reaches out to touch his feet, she begins to kiss his feet. And the cultural standards of that day would have said, Jesus, you've got to be embarrassed. You've got to be repulsed. You've got to recoil at what she's doing. And everybody expected him to give her a dressing down for even daring to touch his feet, much less kiss his feet. But instead, her act of love, as you're going to see in a moment, was met with his act of grace. By now, Simon, oh boy, he's hot. He has heard enough. He has seen enough. He's had enough. How dare this streetwalker walk into my party with all of my honored guests and ruin the best party of the year? How dare she do that? So listen to this. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, by the way, little help here. When you're around Jesus, you're never just talking to yourself. Just, just a word, okay. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, what you're going to about see is Jesus was well aware of who she was. Jesus knew exactly what she was. He knew exactly what kind of sinner she was. Can I tell you what's real tragic about this picture? Can I tell you what's wrong with this picture? Here's what was wrong. What was tragic is that Simon didn't realize the real problem. You say, okay, what was the real problem? You ready? Buckle your seatbelt. The problem was not that she was a sinner and Jesus didn't know it. That wasn't the problem. The problem was he was a sinner and he didn't know it. That was the problem. Jesus knew she was a sinner. He didn't know he was a sinner. And that raises, this is where I'm going to get a little bit passionate just for a minute. Maybe not as passionate as I was last night, but a little passionate, you know. I mean, you're not going to see me go, hunker down, dogs. I'm not going to do that, okay? Why do we think, where do we get this idea that sin 
disqualifies us from the grace of God. Where did we ever come up with that idea? Why is it that we would have a tendency? If somebody walked down the front of this church right now and sat right on that front row right there, and they weren't dressed like we're dressed, or maybe hardly even dressed, or they had everything from tattoos to earrings, or it's very obvious their sexual orientation is not where most of us is. Why is it that some of us would have this thought go through our mind, what are you doing here? What is it about sin that we think disqualifies us from the grace of God? Can I give you just a little secret? Sin is the only thing that qualifies us for the grace of God. Can I be honest, even more honest? I wish our church were filled with people that don't believe what we believe and don't see things the way we see them, that think this book is full of fairy tales and think, hey, it's okay to live any way I want to. God's okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. I don't believe what you believe. I don't, this resurrection business, business I don't believe for a minute Jesus raised from the dead. You know what? I wish our church was filled with those people. That's who we're here for. Because let me want you to understand this. You don't give up your sin and then receive God's grace. You receive God's grace and then he gives you the power to give up your sin. So first of all, sin, a grace receives us in our sin. She knew what she was when she walked in. Jesus knew what she was when she walked in. And Jesus said, you're the reason I came to the party. Number two, grace rescues us from our sin doesn't just receive us in our sin, it rescues us from our sin. Now, Jesus tells a story, we're going to get back to the story in just a moment, but first, let me tell you what he does. He gives this scathing indictment of Simon, right? I mean, Simon's in his mind. Simon's letting this prostitute have it. Well, now, Jesus is about to let Simon have it. You say, wait a minute, I thought he was full of grace. He is, but he just can't help himself. He's got truth, too. He just has to tell the truth. So listen to what he says in verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman. Now, watch what Jesus does. This is really cool. He knows what he's doing psychologically. He turns to the woman, but he's talking to Simon, right? That's, that's pretty cool, right? He's looked at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. You see this woman? You know what Simon's saying? Uh, yeah, I see her. I came into your house, and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Now, what Jesus just did is just call Simon on the carpet. And you, you may not understand how he did that, but it's really kind of easy if you go back to the culture of that day, which, by the way, is still carried over the Middle East today. I've been to the Middle East many, many times, as you know. I'm going back to Israel next year. You sit every time you go over there. In the Middle East... Hospitality is a big deal, a big deal. In the East, in the Middle East, you have a cultural responsibility to accept a stranger into your house. You have a cultural responsibility to feed that stranger. You have a cultural responsibility to house that stranger if that stranger has no place to go. They knew all about Southern hospitality long before there was a South. They, they, they understood it. So see, here's what's going on. There is a tension in the room, not just because of what has happened, but because of what had not happened. Because let me take you back. Jesus walks to the doorstep of the house. He knocks on the door. Simon invites him into his house. Now, when Jesus entered that house, all the traditional courtesies of any guest you would expect didn't happen. For example, 
The customary greeting when a guest of honor comes into your house and you've invited them, the customary greeting is you give them a kiss on one or both cheeks. If you don't kiss them on one or both cheeks, what you're saying in effect is I'm going to ignore you. Then the guests would be seated on stools around a U-shaped couch, and before a meal was eaten, the hands had to be washed and the feet had to be washed with a mixture of water and olive oil. Now, to honor your guest, if you really wanted to honor your guest, you would wash their feet yourself and you'd wash their hands yourself. But if you felt like you were too good for that, you'd have one of the servants come and wash their feet and wash their hands. And you had to do that before you ate because if you didn't do that before you ate, you were eating a meal with unclean hands and you would be therefore considered unclean. But there was no washing of Jesus' feet. And nobody had washed his hands. And nobody had given him a kiss. And nobody had poured perfume on his feet. In other words, here's what happened. From the time that Jesus walked into that home, he had been treated rudely. He had been treated with arrogance. And he had every right, after about two minutes, to have gotten angry, turned around, and walked out that door and said, I don't know who you think I am, but I'm not going to let you treat me this way. And see, here's the irony. They showed him no grace. He showed them all grace. But now you go back to the crying woman. The Bible says she was crying so much. She had tears so much. I mean, so many tears. She could wash his feet. I got a question. Why was she crying? We're not, we're not told why she's crying. I'm going to tell you what I believe, and I think you'll find it in the text. You read between the lines. See, on the one hand, she knew who she was. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she was not worthy to be in the presence of Jesus, so she was crying. On the other hand, she realized how he had been humiliated, how he had been ignored, how rudely he had been treated and rejected. And I believe this woman was crying for two reasons. Number one, she was crying out of gladness that Jesus had accepted her and that Jesus was treating her with kindness. But I believe she was also crying out of sadness because of the way that they treated him. Now again, let me just stop right here. Don't miss the irony of what's going on here. Who is Simon? Somebody told me, who is Simon? He's a Pharisee, all right, remember a Pharisee. He is a biblical scholar. You say, well, what's your point? He spent his entire life studying the Old Testament. By the time he was 12 years old, he had memorized the first 12 books of the Old Testament. By the time he was 15, he had memorized the entire Old Testament. So why is that important? That means he had memorized over 300 prophecies about the Messiah that was going to come. If anybody in that room should have realized just by his head knowledge, I know who you are. I know why you can do what you do. I know why you're so special. It would have been him. But he doesn't realize that the guy that's sitting there at his table with unwashed feet and unwashed hands and an unkissed face with this very same Messiah. Now, this is what blows my mind every time I read this story. The one who should have recognized who Jesus was didn't. And the one who should not have recognized who Jesus was did. Now, how do you explain that? Tell me how a Pharisee didn't have a clue who he was, but a prostitute did. Tell me how someone who studied the scriptures all of his life was clueless when it came to this man 
but a prostitute who probably never even seen an Old Testament knew exactly who he was. What was the difference? You ready? Here was the difference. Simon wanted to put Jesus in his place. The prostitute wanted to thank Jesus for his grace. And then Jesus says these stinging words to Simon. I mean, you talk about cutting a guy. Jesus knew how to do it just like that. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, you loves little. And notice what Jesus said. He said, her many sins not will be forgiven, or I'm, they're going to be forgiven. Her many sins have been, for, her many sins have been forgiven. Now, now this, is so, this is so important. She didn't wash his feet, and she didn't anoint him with perfume, and she did not kiss his feet hoping to receive forgiveness. It was the other way around. Because she had been forgiven, that's why she washed his feet and kissed his feet and anointed him with perfume. No, she didn't know the word grace. If you'd walked up to her and said, hey, don't you just love grace? She'd have said, what is grace? But then if you just pointed to Jesus, she said, oh, that's grace. And then the mic drops with Jesus' next words. Then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Simple four-word statement, but an eternal life changer. Question. You think that street-walking prostitute ever dreamed she'd hear those words from anybody? And yet, she not only heard these words, but for the first time in her life, she heard it from the only one in the universe that could mean it and make it stick. Lady, when I say your sins are forgiven, take it to the bank. Your sins are forgiven. That's what grace does. It doesn't just receive us in our sin. It rescues us from our sin. So whenever you hear those words ever spoken, your sins are forgiven, that's grace doing the talking. So what does grace do? It receives us in our sin. You come just like you are. It rescues us from our sin. Your sins are forgiven. But then what's this last thing? Grace releases us from our sin. Now, now, this is where the story really gets good. See, Jesus told a parable to Simon because he knew Simon didn't quite get what was going on. And whenever Jesus wanted to make a point, he loved to tell stories. So he tells this story. Now, Simon doesn't realize it, but the story is actually a sledgehammer that's going to hit him up the side of the head. He doesn't even know what's hitting until he tells the story. But Jesus tells this story. And you know why? What he was saying to Simon was, Simon, you've tried to put me in my place I'm going to put you in your place. So he tells this story. Jesus answered to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. By the way, whenever Jesus says, I have something to tell you, you better buckle up. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now Jesus asked a very simple question, right? Now which of them will love him more? Let me stop right there. Let's say we don't read the rest of the verse. Does everybody, can everybody answer that question? Everybody get that? I mean, that's, a, that's an easy answer, right? I mean, it's not hard. Simon, though, 
It's, this is killing him. Because I want you to notice what he says. That's another funny part of the story. Simon says, uh, I suppose. No, moron, you don't suppose anything. You know the answer. The one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Story's very simple. You got two men. They both owe debts to this moneylender. One man owes 10 times what the other man owes, but the one thing they have in common is neither one could pay off their debt. Now, what Jesus was saying to Simon then is what Jesus is saying to all of us now. There may be people out there that we think are 10 times worse than we are, and there may be people out there that deep down we think we are 10 times better than they are, but here's the sobering news. The fact of the matter is we're all sinners, and we are all spiritually bankrupt. We all owe a sin debt we can never pay off. So it doesn't matter whether you're a pope or a pastor or a prostitute or a pornographer. When it comes to sin, we're all dead broke. We're all bankrupt. All of your baptismal certificates and your tithing envelopes and your church attendance and your good deeds and your giving to charity, all of that stuff put together can't pay off one idol of one fraction of one scintilla of one sin. We're broke. We're all in the same boat. The problem was the prostitute could see her sin, but the Pharisee couldn't see his. See, when she looked in the mirror, she saw how sinful she was. But when he looked in the mirror, he saw how good he thought he was. Author Randy Alcorn, one of my favorite authors, he said it best. I want you to listen to this. This will be worth hearing. The worst thing we can teach people is that they are good without Jesus. The fact is, God doesn't offer grace to good people any more than doctors offer life-saving surgery to healthy people. Never believe anything about yourself or God that makes his grace to you seem anything less than amazing because that's exactly what it is. As I have followed the Lord now since I was a boy, my awareness of my need for the grace of God has never been greater than it is today. Never. And see, I know what some of you are thinking. And, and I, I get it. I, I, I can fall into this trap. I'm not going to say I've never thought this. Well, I've never been in jail. Well, I haven't either. I've never done drugs, much less been addicted to drugs. Well, I hadn't either. I've never even chewed tobacco. I hadn't either. I've never even had a drink. I hadn't either. I've never even said a curse word. I haven't either. I've never run around on my spouse. I haven't either. I've never blown up a building. I hadn't either. I've never robbed a bank. I've never shot anybody. Just go down your laundry list. I get it. I understand. I get it. I, I know where you're coming from. But it's one thing to think that you don't deserve grace. And by the way, you don't. It's another thing to think that you don't need grace. And by the way, you do. Two, P, 
people at this party could not have been more different. Everybody looked up to Simon. Everybody looked down on this woman. He was a respected church leader. She was a scorned street walker. He made a living teaching the law. She made a living breaking the law. He was respected. She was rejected. But they were both sinners who equally needed the same amount of God's grace. So here's the point. It is only when you see your goodness is worthless that you will see God's grace is priceless. You'll never see how great a Savior Jesus is till you see how great a sinner you are. So, wrap this up. What's the next step? Okay, Pastor, in light of what you just said to me, how can I apply this to my life? How can this make a difference beginning today? How can this really make a practical difference in my life? Okay, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. This is your assignment. Just today, don't worry about tomorrow, just today. I want to encourage you to take a moment and start seeing the world as if your eyes were filled with grace. Now you say, okay, what will happen if I do that? If I, if I say, okay, I'm gonna start seeing the whole world with eyes filled with grace, what will be different? Here's what will happen, guarantee it. When you begin to look at the world with eyes full of grace, you'll start seeing three things differently than maybe you've ever seen them before. Number one, you'll see yourself the way you really are, which is, just like everybody else, a sinner in need of grace. Number two, you'll see other people the way they really are. You know what? They're no worse than you are, and they're no better than you are. They're just like you, sinners in need of grace. And then you'll see Jesus the way he really is, always full of grace that we all fully need. Now, listen to how the story concludes. The other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this? Who is this masked man? Who is this who even forgives sins? I love what Jesus does. He doesn't even answer them. He doesn't even fool with them. He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now listen up and we're done. If I haven't offended anybody yet, let me give it one more shot. What Jesus is teaching us today is this. Whether you're a lawmaker or a lawbreaker, you are equally in need of the grace of God. It doesn't matter whether you're a liberal or a conservative. It doesn't matter whether you're gay or straight. It doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. It doesn't matter whether you're in the majority or minority. It doesn't matter whether you've been married once or twice divorced. It doesn't matter whether you're an alcoholic or a teetotaler. It doesn't matter whether you're righteous or unrighteous. It doesn't matter whether you believe the book or you don't. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or irreligious. It doesn't matter whether you're good or bad. It doesn't matter. We are all equally in need of the grace of God. Every one of us. Now, here's the last thing, and I'm, I'm gonna have a little fun here since I'm the pastor, I get to do this. We're never told what this woman's name is. I don't know what it was. You don't know what it was. So I'm gonna give you my theory 
I don't know that I'm right, but if I were a betting man, I'd, I'd bet Jack your salary that I'm right. I don't know what this woman's name was before she met Jesus. But I got a strong feeling what people called her after she met Jesus. Anybody want to take a clue what you think they called her? Grace. Let's bow for prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed.